This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. It is April the 15th. My name is John Dunn, and listen, this is crazy. The first episode of the Best Friends Podcast went up on April the 2nd of last year. We've all been going a zillion miles an hour, so it can be difficult to stop and reflect, but we do want to stop and recognize this fun milestone and say thank you. I'm having a hell of a lot of fun doing this, and the fact that you are listening is just amazing. And here we are now on episode 59. We want to remind you that the registration for the 2021 Best Friends National Conference is now open. Go to bestfriends.org slash conference. It's June 23rd and 24th. It's going to be virtual. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interactive. And it's only $55 to register. And just think of all the money you're saving from a normal conference year. You don't have to fly anywhere. I mean, you don't even have to lose weight to fit into the only suit you own. Or is that only an issue I struggle with? Anyway, check this out. As a podcast listener, you get a discount of $10. So for you, your registration, just $45. When you go to register, enter the promo code PODCAST, all lowercase. That's important. It won't work unless it's all lowercase. So again, go to bestfriends.org slash conference. You'll see a link to register. Go put in the promo code PODCAST, all lowercase, for $10 off. Now, this week is National Animal Care and Control Appreciation Week. And on behalf of everyone here at the podcast, to those of you who put your lives on the line each and every day, helping the people and pets in your community, serving as animal control officers, I'd like to say thank you. Now, over the last year on this podcast, we've talked quite a bit about community-supported sheltering, what COVID has done to accelerate programmatic changes, and the opportunities that we've all had to reshape what we do and how we do it. And so given that it is Animal Care and Control Appreciation Week, we've got a great example of this in action out in Sacramento, California. Did you need any information about the coronavirus vaccine? Um, yeah, I guess you can tell me where I can get it. I did not play the wrong clip. That is, in fact, a field services officer out in the community in Sacramento speaking with a member of the public about the coronavirus vaccine. And I know right now UC Davis is accepting everyone. So I'm just going to leave you with some information in the pamphlet. And you have any other questions? No, that's for me. All righty. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye. So what is that all about? Since when did animal control become a source for public health information? We spoke with the chief animal control officer for the Front Street Animal Shelter in Sacramento, California, Jace Huggins. So part of my obsession with coronavirus vaccines stems from the fact that I'm high risk. I have uh, really severe lung issues. And so when the pandemic hit, uh, I pretty much got locked down in my house, which was a pretty helpless feeling, especially with my team going out day in and day out. And some of the things we noticed early on was just a large number of deceased owner calls, not necessarily 100% relating to COVID, but always unknown. You know, somebody goes to check on a loved one, find them deceased. You don't know why, why they died. And our team was, you know, just entering those homes regularly, you know, getting the animals out. We had a potential coronavirus, you know, housing unit at the shelter where the animals would go into and then the the decon stuff that had come out and that's changed since. But 
just uh, just seen it a lot and it was it's always stressful like dead person calls are pretty much always stressful it's a mental taxation of this job that a lot of people don't realize but for me sitting at home feeling like there was nothing i could do uh, a lot of my obsession really revolved around vaccines and when could they officers get vaccinated would they be considered law enforcement because that's a big thing you know while i am all about community service and stuff um our officers risk their health and safety on a day in and day out basis you know they they wear bulletproof vests they carry protective equipment and it's not lost on us ever that just them being who they are and working this job could end up with them being injured or worse. So just their health was really weighing heavily on me. And I did a lot of work early on with our public health department to ensure what level they would be vaccinated within. And uh, once they got vaccinated, which was very early this year, um, we ended up getting in on an overage for our fire department. My my brain, like it was literally like the day of the vaccine, the first vaccine, everything kind of switched for me. And how do we help our community now? So our, our staff is safer. We're, we're get, getting vaccinated. What's the next step? And so I called, well, I did a lot of research on equity and just, I saw a lot of articles about BIPOC communities, Hispanic communities, low-income communities, not having access to vaccines, not knowing how to get the vaccines, not knowing where to look, not having the internet capability to find appointments because most things are internet-based right now. And so I reached out to the public health department again, and I said, you know, the reality is those are the neighborhoods we are working in day in and day out. Those are the neighborhoods where our boots are already on the doorsteps. So what can we do? There's only eight of us. It's not, we're not going to talk to 2000 people, but I am willing to commit to talking to every single human being that we possibly can um, to help them. So we came up with a plan. We got information in five different languages, the five languages we most commonly come across within our community. Um, We got the vaccine safety information. We got California state information and then also Sac County where to sign up and what the eligibility was. Here for us in in Sacramento, eligibility was one of the big hangups because the state was releasing eligibility and then every single county had slightly different changes that they were making to it. And that caused a lot of confusion. So our focus at first was really let's help people understand if they are eligible or when they'll be eligible and if they are eligible, where to go to get their appointment. So we gathered all of that. We created a little half sheet for tracking. And when we were on calls where it was feasible, we would just tell people, hey, we've got some information about the coronavirus vaccine. Are you interested? And if they said no, we would mark down that they were not interested. If they said yes, we would go through, give them whatever information we could. Um, all the way up to, I know at least one officer sat there with the little appointment maker thing and showed the gentleman exactly how to work it. Um, and then he and his son made an appointment later that day. So really it was just about being in those communities and taking a couple extra minutes to help them be a little bit safer or to help them understand when they might be able to get their, their coronavirus vaccines. And it's it's been great. It hasn't been perfect. There are a couple officers that are less willing, you know, they're like, this is human medicine. This is really kind of out of my wheelhouse. And I feel really weird talking to people. Um, It's not mandated. We're government. It's not met and conferred upon. Nobody's getting in trouble if they're not doing it. Um, But if they are doing it, we're seeing multiple times where they're actually identifying people who are eligible to get vaccinated, who want to be vaccinated, but have no idea where to turn. So we're able to help them. And I mean, I think right now the total is like five people, but 
Like that's five lives, you know, if those people just sat and waited, hoping one day somebody would magically call them for a vaccine appointment, you know, we were able to proactively help them and help them feel safe. So not only did we help them feel safe, we're also helping them not become one of those statistics of those houses where we're having to go pick up the animals, but we're also developing a rapport and a relationship. All of a sudden they're seeing us as somebody who cares about them, not just the animal issues within their community. Um, and to me, I think that's pretty powerful. We're not doing it if we're seizing an animal or, you know, there's a major cruelty thing. It's not on every single call, but it's whenever we get the opportunity and wherever it comes up and we can talk to them. The recent statistics I just pulled, 73% of the people we talked to were not white. And that was definitely one of our goals. Um, statistics here in our county show that uh, people who are white are vaccinated almost twofold as as much as the other races and ethnicities in our community. So that's not our focus. We want to be in BIPOC communities and Hispanic communities and Hmong, American Indian, Pacific Islander, that AAPI, those, those are all the communities we want to be in and helping people. And that's where we seem to be making the most connections and being able to provide the most information, which is great. Just honestly, just this morning, one of our officers was able to help somebody get an appointment. He knew that he was eligible, but he was confused on where he was supposed to call. The number he had gotten was for a place that you can only call Monday morning between 8 and 10. He didn't know that, so he'd been calling, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. We're connecting them with the information they need. And it's just, it's really great because it's not us being, you know, the law, the rule followers, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's literally just an opportunity to make a connection and help somebody the other really great thing that's come of it is our health department is uh, going to start doing coronavirus vaccine clinics with our rabies clinics. So basically you can come, bring your animal, get your animal vaccinated, get your license, get dog food, drive to the next parking lot and get your coronavirus vaccine. And then next year it'll also be flu vaccines if they need their flu vaccine. So people who have transportation issues, now we're cutting out a trip for them. We're, we're able to help them and their animal simultaneously um, so I think that's going to be a really fun partnership moving forward. Jace, what's the budget situation for you out there? I mean, have you had to deal with cuts? Do you, are there any coming, do you think? Um, we have been pretty decent. We are very blessed to work in a department who was hit very hard by the prior recession and made a very strong commitment to not getting put in the same situation. They had to lay off a large number of staff in our department. Uh, at the last recession. So the prior leader created quite a cushion. We have not had to take a major hit to our budget. We've been very lucky in that. But definitely our work has changed, which affects the money that we're bringing in. We also have an amazing Friends of Front Street uh, nonprofit that helps and supports us um, as needed. Most of what we're doing is budgeting through the nonprofit and through the donation money that's come in. Uh, but most of like even the stuff we give away, it's most of it's donated to us. It's very rare that we actually have to buy supplies. Um, we're just kind of like the Robin Hoods of animal good, <laughs> you know, within the community. And so people don't need it. They bring it to us. And instead of going, oh, we're never going to need that, throw it away. We're keeping it organized and then we're taking it out. And literally when we do our vaccine clinics, we just have this huge resource table with as much stuff as we can carry out there. You know, we fill up a whole van. So we've hey, been- Jace. Hey, Jace, do you hear that? No. That's the sound of a lot of very jealous people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, uh, I realize we are, 
um, we are very lucky and I don't, I don't um, take that for granted, but it also is allowing us to turn outward. You know, our first clinics, we didn't even limit it just to our jurisdiction. Pretty much anybody that drove up, we were helping. We've had to cut back just a little bit because it's become almost untenable. Um, So we're trying to make sure that we're doing our best to serve as many people as possible. We're extending our clinics. We're making the cutoff even longer. We're pulling in more volunteer help. We're blessed, but because of that, we're able to put that back out in our community. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, We don't want to be blessed within our walls. We want to make sure that that goodwill is going out and, and helping people not have to use our services in the future. Now, the reason I ask that is that when I hear about these types of efforts, I always wonder, I always wonder where you get the time because yes, it's about helping the public. But Jace, you and your officers, you have a job to do, and that's to provide animal control services to the community, right? not public health information, not sewer maintenance. <laughs> and so while it sounds good, like, are you neglecting those core duties? So one of the things that my boss and I talked about, you know, I mentioned early on my occasional harebrained ideas, the way I see it and what I posed to him was, if it takes us three more minutes, you average five officers out a day. So that's 15 minutes per officer or no, 12 calls. So about 40 minutes per officer, five officers. Um, So hour and a half of work or so. And so in that hour and a half, we probably would have gotten three or four other calls done. So if we are running behind on that three or four calls, the three or four barking complaints, or we don't get out to a very common for those working in field services, we'll understand this, no food, water, shelter. I can't see my neighbor's dog, but I'm pretty sure it has no food, water, shelter. We're going to still get out to them. But if we get out of them the next day, because we were able to help this community member get that appointment or get that information for the time being, it is worth that trade-off for us. And I don't have a problem going to our city council and saying, this is what we're doing. This is why we're an extra 10 calls behind each week. Or this is why, you know, our department, I'll be completely honest, our department runs 100 to 150 calls in the hole at any given time. We always have more work to do than what we are physically capable of doing. So for me, it is important that we are focusing on the priorities. Public safety will always be first. The animal welfare, so stray injured, stray animal hit by car, any of that kind of stuff, that's always going to be first. But I personally do not have an issue having to put off other types of calls that are lower level, less concern where a person or an animal's health is not at risk in order to assist the health department in this way. Our city and county is is huge. Everybody's understaffed. Police department, public health, you go to any department, they're all understaffed, you know? So it's worth it. I, I guess to me, it's just, it's worth it. Yeah, we're going to be, we're going to get a little bit less work done. But if we save a life of one of our community members in the meantime, okay, we we get a little less work done. You know, the pandemic has created an environment for us to flex ourselves in ways we never thought before. Officers complete entire calls by phone now. Calls that a year and a half ago, if I'd have said, hey, will you just call that person and get that solved? They'd have been like, oh, I can't just make a phone call. I've got to go out and see the house and I've got to see the fence and I've got to see this. You know, the pandemic changed all that. They're like, I don't need to go to the house. I'm fine. I'll call them, you know. And now, you know, I've got officers telling me, like, I never thought this was going to be possible, but I can actually do more work because of how we've made these changes because I'm creating connections with people in a different way. And so, you know, I, I say that the, this pandemic has been incredibly hard. Um, my wife lost her grandfather in it. 
And, uh, but there are some stuff and things that have changed. You know, I, I say that in some ways, one of the gifts the pandemic gave us was our daughter was born February 27th. My wife and I have been home with her the entire time for the entire first year, but it also has created a world in which experimentation is okay. And we can make changes that allow us to do things like fight for our community for something that's not related to animals at all. Because in the end, it is related to animals. If that person gets sick and gets hospitalized, you're going to have to go get their animals. If that person, you know, forbid, passes away, those animals are likely going to come to you. If that person is so sick, they can't feed their animal. You know, it does. Like helping your community even if it doesn't feel like it's animal related, it is animal related because the healthier that pet parent is, the better capable they are of taking care of their animal. So we're in this really transformative moment in history, right? And Jace, you've been in this business a while. So I'm wondering what you think is coming in the months and and years ahead, you know, this type of approach. I I imagine you think this is not just going to be more and more accepted, but ultimately like people are going to expect this. I think so. I absolutely think so. I can tell you, so I will start with my personal goal. My personal goal within the next five years is to have a dual run field services team. So we've said field services a whole bunch during this podcast and interview. And oftentimes when you hear that, you think animal control officer, humane law enforcement officer. To me, field services is really just the work you're doing outside of the wall. So what I want, you know, and, and what I would love to see is, you know, you have, there is an enforcement arm. There's always going to be an enforcement arm to a, a field services unit, but there also needs to be an outreach arm. And there's trainings that happen that need to be the same. Like you need to have, if you have, let's call, say an outreach officer that is out there working proactively in the community, running proactive programs, going to community town halls working off of next door, the Facebook posts, doing all of that stuff, they still need to have the same training. They still need to have the same safety knowledge and all of that, but their focus is going to be a little bit different. So for me, I see field services kind of developing more into multifaceted different units that are focusing on different things. You know, if you look at police departments, a lot of the the bigger city ones, especially are creating smaller teams that are really specialty focused. So here in Sacramento, we have the impact team and our impact team for police department works solely with people experiencing homelessness. And whether that's communicating with us and needing help with animals, that kind of stuff. There's also what's called the JFN team. That's justice for neighbors. That team focuses on quality of life for, for citizens within the city. So I see that kind of development happening instead of being like you are animal control I would really like to see development of um, take out some of the enforcement, you know, keep a, a core enforcement team, but also develop this outreach and community service related team, CSOs, you know, community service officers that are really out there to make a difference and then just keep a small group that's focusing on the enforcement aspect. It doesn't always have to be about what the law is and if it's broken. You know, there's there's a lot of laws broken. And, you know, I tell people all the time, so you never speed. You know, like there, there's a lot of laws that are out there um, and we need to focus on enforcing the, the, the major ones, the high concern ones, um, the, the major public safety and the major animal cruelty ones. But the rest of it, we need to focus on helping people garner solutions and becoming a resource for those owners 
so that they don't ever have to see that enforcement team. It's so funny that you said community service officer, because I swear to you, right before you said that, community support officer, CSO, I started thinking CSO, that popped into my head. What a great idea. Right. <laughs> uh, and if you think about this, you know, from just a customer service perspective alone, if we think about what the 311 service has done, I'm sure you have it there and we have it here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I live. If you have a question as a resident, you call 311. Easy to remember, right? And you know that person on the end of the, the line may not be the person to fully solve your issue. They're going to help you get it solved and they're representing the whole. So, you know, I mean, what average taxpayer knows or cares about the departmental structure and who does what and who reports to who? And, and, but that to me, that's so key because it doesn't matter if you are sewer maintenance or the library or parks and rec or fire department, whatever your job title, you're all in it for the same thing, right? Serve the community to help people. I really encourage people to stop looking at the trees look at the forest and then work your way down because it's, it's when you're taking that big picture view of what it is. Like anytime somebody says to me, that's not my job. I really try and make them think about the forest because really that's what you need to be looking at. If it's a human related stuff, connecting somebody with sheltering resources for somebody experiencing homelessness, that can be your job because ultimately if that person gets in a shelter and gets housed, you're probably less likely to end up getting called out there. And that's really the way I encourage people to think about it is uh, I challenge you, don't, don't think about what's not your job. Think about all the things you can do that could reshape and form your job into a more proactive realm. Um, because when we really can get out there and not have to respond to 100, have 150 calls a day of people complaining about what their neighbor is or isn't doing with their animal – that's when we really, really are going to start making a difference. That will eventually affect owner surrenders, the shelter populations, views on community cat colonies, all of that is being able to be more proactive. And sometimes you got to put the work into it ahead of time and, and take the loss on the back end in order to see that change and not be scared to do that. As you can tell, Jace is a very amazing, dynamic human being. He and I talked about a lot more stuff, and we'll be sharing more of that conversation in a future episode. The producers, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast. <laughs>